Hello there, Grumsworth. Oh, hello, Burlock. And hello to all of you uh, lovely people out there. Um, and welcome uh, to the preamble, your uh, every so often digest of all things hobby. Now, Grumsworth, how the devil are you? The devil is right, Burlock. The devil is right. Um, not too bad, not too bad. This is going out a fairly latish hour, so we're, we're weak and withered from the week. So you're going to have to forgive our, our rambling, might be more rambling than normal. It's never a bad thing, brother. It's never a bad thing at all. It's never a bad thing. Um, but yeah, the week's been all right. It's semi-productive, hobby-wise and stuff like that, Good. which I'm sure we'll go into. Um, everything else pretty stable yeah the week's been good for me i mean in london here it's been a mini heat wave i don't know how things have been um down your way um but it's been really hot so of course it's just been it's been a, a bit of an uncomfortable nightmare but nonetheless things have been well very well indeed well this is all good then isn't it so we're coming at our dear listeners from a place of good strength aren't we Oh, yes. I assume we've both been up to something good this hobby week, right? So I'll, I'll roll in first with this. Um, so I've done, I've, I've split, I've, my focus has wandered a little bit, but I'm trying to cinch it back in. Um, so what I've done is I've done a little bit more from my sort of running projects, my, uh, my uh, caudal game for Necromunda there, the Knights of Doghead. Uh, three more of those guys are kind of at a half-finished stage. Uh, we've got some more of their browns on their robes, again using the GW contrast paints. That's all going along really nicely. Very um, good, very good. Got some of the rust on their weapons, that sort of bit. There's a couple of these guys have got the Forge World heads, as we discussed in our last podcast. That's right. Um, and some of those require uh, a little bit of a different treatment because they're not the kind of traditional masks that the rest of the gang wearing. One has a little executioner's hood on his head. So using a little bit of secret weapon miniatures, um, rubber and tire black to ah. create a, a kind of a nice, um, not really true black, uh, an interesting black mm. uh, for his hood against his brown robes. That's looking really solid. So I reckon about half of my hobby week has been spent on those guys. Um, and the other half has been uh, working towards finishing a big old Nurgle Blight King mm. by the name of Golgoth the Butcher, Ooh. who is from, yeah, he is yeah. a butcher as well. He is a monster. Lovely looking um, figure. Should we get him up on the screen perhaps to have a little look at that one? Yeah, let's have a little peek. Let's do that. I'm really happy with him at the moment. Started working up on him I used a Death Guard green undercoat. It's actually like a, a washed out sort of green rather than a bright one, but it's yeah. still quite light. So it's a really nice base for anything nerdly. As the name suggests, Death Guard green, you, you can't go wrong. Surely. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah, it's quite desaturated, isn't it? Um, which actually, it's allowed it to be a really nice base for the rest of his colours, which as you can see, have actually come out quite rich. Mm. So it's, it, it's a lot of... Um, a lot of paint using plenty of medium to keep it kind of opaque and then working layer and layer and layer of it on to build up this now. Like his big old guts there, I think anyway, look super warm. Like if you were to give this dude a hug, 
you would die. But before that happens, it looks like it would be warm around there, doesn't it? You know, oh, it's yeah. flesh looks. And I, well, I actually wanted to stay away from like the really uh, over-the-top green that Nurgle sometimes is painted with. It can be a bit cartoony sometimes, I think. It can be, which I do enjoy. But on this guy, on these three, because I'm painting the whole of the worm spat, which is the group that he's from, mm. uh, I wanted a really kind of earthy, semi-real look. So his armour has the kind of almost the cartoony green, brown, orange glow. But then his flesh, it, it kind of looks fairly real for someone crawling with hideous diseases and bloated yeah. and evil. Hopefully next week I'll have pictures of him with a completed base and all, all of that it. That would be good. Yeah, that would yeah. be great to see. Yeah, yeah, that would be great to see. Well, don't hold your hopes up, though. Because that might not happen. We'll see. We'll see. How about yourself, Burlock? What have you been working on this week? Well, well, for me, um, it's been uh, a little bit more scenery, um, at least a little bit of scenery. Last yeah. uh, last episode, we were uh, I, was, I was talking about how I was working on some um, uh, like a, a ruined building with uh, like a, a crashed spaceship uh, situation right. going on. Um, I've done a bit more to that now. Um, I've got to the point where I've uh, now fully textured it and undercoated it. During the undercoating process, you'll be familiar with this, Grumsworth. I ended up with a little bit of sprayer's nail. So we've got some uh, we've got some undercoated scenery uh, going on, which is uh, now ready for ready for painting. And it will be some rattle cans, a bit of airbrush work, some dry brush in with a big old brush. That'll be knocked out real quick. But uh, I've enjoyed putting the last bit of construction onto that. Um, that was a, a, a brief part of my my week. Um, but for a chunk of it, actually, I've been uh, I've been playing a bit of Heroes of the Storm again. Have you now? Yeah, it's very wise, as I would be it's saying. Very wise. So I've been using a lot of Uther in <laughs> Heroes of the Storm as a healer. So now I will I will I will never I, I will never not enjoy having Uther on my side or yeah. playing him myself. I think he's fantastic. But he's the tank of choice, isn't he? He is. <laughs> he is the tank and healer combined. So for those of you sort of familiar with that, those terms, uh, essentially our guy Uther here, it not only can he keep everyone topped up and healthy, no one's going to die if you've got Uther swinging his hammer around, talking about light <laughs> with his book. Right? But also, also, he can do a spot of tanking as well. He can run Handling. interference, he can stun, he can get in the way. He's kind of hard to kill. Mm. Yeah, so I've been enjoying a lot of Uther actually. Well, it's been working out all right, actually. Um, I, I accidentally logged into my US server. I disconnected from the EU server that I was playing on, and it, it somehow reconnected me to the US. And I didn't realize at first. And I thought, why is my, why is my hero pool so small? Because, of course, the different servers don't share the same account progress. So, um, so yeah, I, I thought, oh, well, I'm in, I'm in the server now. I'll just have a game. That's, you know, I don't really care about progress so much, to be fair. Uther was available, yeah. so I thought I'd use some Uther. And I managed to claw my way up from like level 25 uh, up to level 50. <laughs> so I, out of my pool of heroes, I managed to claw up 25 levels. It's a bit of a bit of a mixture of heroes I used, to be fair. But for the most yeah. part, it was Uther. So I can now officially play on the US servers in my ranked matches, and I'm going to exclusively use an Uther main. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> bit of fun. Uh, if you guys are not familiar with this, uh, Heroes of the Storm, there is a... Uh... Uh, a MOBA uh, and it's set in the uh, Blizzard universes, isn't it? 
Warcraft, um, Starcraft, uh, Overwatch. That's right. Yeah, so lots of lots of uh, well-known and well-loved characters. Um, for any of you Blizzard fans out there, you'll be familiar with what I'm talking about. If not, well, I would check it out. It's free to play. Heroes of the Storm is a free-to-play game, so I'd certainly have a go at playing it. Um, but, I mean, aside from that, no, but hobby's been, Hobby Week has been good to me. Um, so, yeah, some video games, a little bit of scenery building, um, and who knows what next week's going to bring. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Who knows indeed. We'll <laughs> see what it brings. We'll see what it brings. It maybe maybe it'll be time just to um, break in something completely different. Maybe it's time to go fishing. I don't know. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the only fishing I've done is in Warcraft, and that was <laughs> about six months ago. But it, it, it felt relaxing, I guess. That's the, sort of, that's the only sort of fishing I would have a conscience. I think, you know, <laughs> the, the real sort, not so much. No. But um, let's move on to a, a, a topic of, uh, of, of some, some substance, I suppose. I was thinking about what we could talk about this week. Um, and uh, the idea of source material came up when uh, painting a miniature or, or drawing a piece of artwork um, source material that we draw from you know mentally physically what are your thoughts on that uh yeah it's a good topic actually there's a few ways uh, that we can discuss it and there's a few ways that we probably all go about it i think it's the case that subconsciously i think we're always drawing in stuff for inspiration with our projects and um, whether it be our painting our building stuff or painting our miniatures and stuff like that so, so I think there is a certain sort of drip feed. If you're engaged in the sort of universes that these hobbies are set in, um, if you're reading your books, even if you're looking at things like your map on the wall there, there's always kind of uh, colour palettes, schemes, certain kind of looks, ways of shading, lighting, that you will just kind of naturally store away in your little old databanks there. And then that will come out in whatever you're working on. But I think we, we're kind of looking to talk about um, uh, taking hold of specific pieces, maybe of art or photographs, um, or maybe even other already painted examples of the miniatures you're working on. We're going to talk about uh, taking these and trying to apply their colours, um, their schemes, their styles of shading and lighting to our own models. Uh, which is something that we've both done a fair bit, haven't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And there are there are some multitude of ways to that I've drawn on um, for inspiration. Um, I think in my very early early days of of, of, of painting miniatures specifically here, um, I do I do remember obviously looking through the pages of White Dwarf or your uh, most recent army book or codex that you bought, yeah. um, and having a look at those gorgeously painted miniatures by the heavy metal team or the studio and thinking that's what I want to do. That's what I want to recreate. And uh, I do remember sitting there and trying to do it in almost a paint by numbers kind of way, you know, emulate copy, that sort of thing. It's, it's how we work, isn't it? So yes, I yeah. found that I was looking at these images of these already painted miniatures and just trying to, trying to just copy what, what the heavy metal team did in more recent years as, as times withered on, withered me with it um i found that uh my obviously my painting styles and abilities have changed over the years um some may say they've got better in fact <laughs> and i find that a big 
reason for that actually is um, the, the influences that I draw on. I'm not so much anymore looking at or wanting to achieve a replica of something that I've seen. Uh, nowadays, I, I look at a miniature and I think, oh, how could I make that? What could I, what could I do with that? Um, as opposed to saying, I want that exact thing. Um, and I think for me, it's a big, a big part of that, that shift uh, was looking at uh, real life and looking at how, uh, how the real life affects those things in it and uh, some scenery, for example, that I've been working on. Um, I want to make it look like a ruined building. So I'm going to go out and not look at the pages of White Dwarf or a codex book or a how to make scenery book. I'm going to go and look at uh, pictures of a, an old ruined city from a war-torn area of the world and look at how ruined buildings look. You know, look at how the light will hit them. Certain color palettes work well with one another. Um, if it's a 40K piece of scenery I'm working on, it might have craters, bullet holes, scorch marks, that kind of thing. Looking at those kind of real life images of uh, what happens to a brick wall if you shoot it with a gun, what kind of impact crater does it leave, that kind of thing, and the coloration it leaves behind it. Looking at yeah, those real, and then just taking that picture and taking that color from that one picture, pulling it out and thinking, right, what color do I have in my my paint set that looks like that putting that down there, you know, and then building up my, my palette slowly in front of me and then just using those um, to, to make the miniature come to life in that, in that way I've found to be the most valuable thing to help me progress my own painting along and that's taking those real life images, that real life imagery. How about you? I like that a lot. It's really interesting because I, I stray almost completely in the opposite direction as far as that's concerned, mm. like I re I do really enjoy taking um, inspiration for color, um, highlighting and shading from real objects, um, and I think it's really useful. To uh, very recently, I painted um, some miniatures with an awful lot of weathering and rust on them, uh, and I ended up sort of as I was going about my day, I would spy a kind of a rusty, a rusty piece of rebar. Um, a broken bollard, some other bit of stray metal corroding away on a train platform or something like this. Mm. And I get my phone out there, I think, that looks a cool colour. I like the way the weather has got at this, you know, the way the metal is oxidised to produce those lovely kind of hues of rust. Yeah. So I take those pictures with my phone um, and then I made a kind of a little collage out of them. And I thought, okay, so how do I apply this to a really small scale? And I actually found that was quite a struggle for me. And I think it, for me, it works really well on larger scale pieces. I can work from photographs or, or just from memory of something I've seen for real. Um, but for me, I like to, I like to work from a, a picture, an image that has been rendered in 3D. Uh, so very recently uh, I used for the Cooldor gang I'm doing, the Knights of Doghead there, their whole colour scheme is taken from a single still, which has been taken from the game Fallout 76, of my guy, Biff, who is head to toe brown rags, barely a speck of skin showing. Yeah. Um, and the particular shot, that particular scene, is out in a very, very grey sort of scale kind of background and he looks very washed out in it. Yeah, um, and that's where yeah. I took the inspiration, you've seen the picture, yeah, that's where I've taken the inspiration for that colour scheme from. Um, using the way that the light hits him to fold another colour 
or another shade of brown in this case into the the, the final um color palette that i chose to paint these guys in yeah um, the same is true uh, i did the eldari character from the blackstone fortress uh, of course yeah 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 we got a picture of her haven't we we have got a picture we can throw her up let's have a look at her which I'm super pleased with. Mm. It was a model that I really was super uninterested in painting as well. You know why, um, don't you? Everything about it. Rose. She's got rose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she has, and, and that was my first hurdle, the fact that she had robes. Uh, the second was that I, I don't like the pose of the model. Um, there's, there's loads of things, actually, I don't like about it. But it, it was the case that it was a... Um, it was kind of a little bit of a challenge. I was given the model to paint and I set myself a deadline with it. So I settled down and thought, how am I going to work this out? I don't really like painting robes. I'm not really very into um, the Elder or the Eldari. I'll call them Elder. How about that? I don't know what this other thing you were talking about is, Brumsworth. I don't know what well, this uh, Eldari is. <laughs> it's, 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 it's what all the kids are calling them. Oh, well, that'd be why I don't know what's going on then. <laughs> right. So, so I so I looked at the miniature and I thought I need to paint it. I've got a, a short amount of time to do so. Um, I don't want to take inspiration from the original, um, very beautifully painted version of it that's shown on the box art and stuff like oh, this. Oh yeah, yeah. I just I, I didn't want to make a replica of that or something that was even like it. Harkening back to you talking about Heroes of the Storm there. The time that I was painting this model, I was playing an awful lot of it. Uh, there was a there's an elf character in it, Tarandi, and one of her particular skins for that character uh, had a really nice look about it to me. You know, good colours. I like the way that there was some interesting use of light on it. So again, it was working from a a two D piece that that had been lit and coloured to appear three D. Um, and we can throw that image up again because I'm kind yeah. of that for us um because i'm kind of happy um that the end result that i painted actually looks very similar I think. yeah the color palette you've chosen it does match up quite neatly doesn't it actually you can see like, when you put the two next to each other like you know you can see the influence quite quickly yeah, yeah and it works really well actually so you found that the this this 3d image that has been produced in that non sort of non-realistic kind of way you were yeah. you were able to draw the the, the palette and the the color composition from that and apply that to your miniature painting the the eldari that i painted there uh, she doesn't look particularly real by any stretch of the imagination but there is some shading there is some light which suggests that she is a real character she's obviously a 3d model and that helps as well yeah. um but i think it's still i could quite happily stand her amid your very realistic, based on real terrain, and those things would match quite nicely. Absolutely, of course it would, yeah, yeah. But I think that's that's what you get from Wargaming, or well, one of the many things you get from Wargaming, is that, that, that fusion, really, of realistic and fantasy. I mean, it's science fantasy, really, 40K, isn't it? If we're talking it about is. the 40K universe, yeah, it's totally. a science fantasy. You know, it's the last thing I, I painted uh, to any... I think good standards where I drew on some direct inspiration from real life is when I was doing a, a miniature from the Burrows and Badgers 
range of, of models. Um, they're produced by Oathsworn Miniatures, I think, do them. Um, but I painted a little toad animist. It's only a little thing. Um, but I, 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 was, I spent almost more time researching frogs and toads than I did painting this model. Because once, I'd be that, once I was able to choose my palette of colors and things, I, it came together quite fast. Because I decided how, how I was going to paint my miniature, what brush strokes I would use, where I'd stipple what color in. And I'm surprised I don't do this more because it seems to be a quicker way for me to paint in weird, weird ways. But I, yeah. I don't have the time really to, to do like lots of heavy research. I mean, I'm working on my chaos course, for example. I'm just, I'm, I want these guys to look period from like they're yeah. pulled from Absolutely. the pages of, of White yeah. Dwarf with a bit more of a modern twist on them. So I've got something already cooked up in my mind for that. That's why it takes me a long time. To, to work on some of the other projects that I've got going on, whereas this little toad guy, this toad animist that I painted, he, he, I've done him in an evening from start to finish. But yeah, his little bone staff that he's carrying, uh, you know, I looked up what does bone actually look like when it's been sitting in a swamp for 20 years. And it's bizarre to think that it looks more gray than it does bleached bone, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. It looks more yeah. gray than it does like a brownie kind of color. So using these sort of more natural palettes and natural colors allowed me to piece together my process much quicker than thinking of something fantastical or drawing on images that somebody else had already created or, uh, or otherworldly color schemes because that just opens up too much of my own imagination to be able to play with it before i do it so that slows me down in a way whereas if i'm saying right that toad has got a yellow strip down the front of his head it's got uh, like a darker underbelly and it's, you know, it's, it's fingers are, like, look like that. I can draw on it directly and say, right, that's the color I need to put there. And it goes back to that original day of, I'm going to paint by numbers here. Instead of choosing a miniature from the pages of White Dwarf, painted by Mike McVeigh, no doubt, <laughs> it will be no doubt. From, uh, from, from a wildlife photographer's camera. So is what we're saying here, it tends to be the case that if you do put in a little bit of time researching, it, things seem to go speedier don't they tend to be i i would say for myself if i have worked from something like i i kind of really rate the imagination of miniature painters whatever your skill level i think it's there is a difference though between setting down and opening out a big crate of paints getting your miniatures in front of you and thinking I'm going to paint this and I don't really know how I'm going to start, but I'm just going to go at it. I'm going to let my imagination in the driving seat. We're just going to go wild with this. And that's really enjoyable. And you can yield some incredible results. But I think something that both of us have found, if you do do a little bit of prep research wise, if you do have kind of a rough plan, if you're working with even just a minimal color scheme from an image, I think the results come through quicker and actually from my point of view I think probably I end up being more happy with the results rather than the kind of um the struggle with imagination where you end up painting the guy's face and you're really happy with it and then you look at the rest of them and you think what do I do to these bloody robes and what next and what, <laughs> what, what next what next Whereas if you have kind of an image that you're working from, whether it be uh, a landscape, um, uh, a painting of some buildings, a photograph of some buildings, 
a photograph of some military types wandering around a field, whatever, um, or your images from a video game. Yeah, I think if if you have something that you can, it helps fill in the blanks that imagination sometimes takes a little while to do. You can almost so create think, more blanks with your imagination, can't you? You can almost massively. you can go running in circles far too many times. And I like what you just said, really, because. I've been in the same situation on numerous occasions and uh, I wonder if I'll ever learn, but I will do that. I will, I'll start on a miniature, open up a box full of paints and there's every color you can think of. It's where do you begin? Okay. So you do his face. You don't, uh, okay, great. I'm really happy with how it turned out, but I've got no plan. What do I do next? You know, but looking at, looking at, you know, other, other inspiration um, areas that you can draw from. I mean, one of my favorite, things uh, to help color my imagination. If I am thinking of something fresh on my own is the artwork. I, I often find myself thinking about the art of Mark Gibbons from the old days, especially from something like, something like the Chaos Codex from second edition, for example, he done, um, well, maybe we do have time for some more Fabius Bile talk because there was a lovely image of Fabius Bile. <laughs> Go on, Fabulous <laughs> B. There was a lovely image of old Fabulous B in uh, the second mm -hmm. edition uh, 40k Chaos Codex. Um, full page, you know, Mark Gibbons through and through, lovely black and white, pencil and ink. It looked um, incredible. Um, and seeing some of those, um, some of that, that artwork might not necessarily have influenced a particular paint job, but it would have certainly have influenced uh, some of my creative decisions going forward for whatever the project might be. Um, so I do have some absolute favourites, you know, like the Fabius Bile picture, for example. I think you've got a favourite Mark Gibbons artwork, haven't you? One of these Eldari you were talking yeah. about. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll call it by its true name, as, as it was at the time as well. Yeah, it's an Elder Striking Scorpion aspect warrior um, mm. uh, from the, uh, the Codex Elder of the time. And it is just a stunning picture. Yeah. Uh, the, the way Mark has, like, the, the use of light in everything that he does is incredible. Um, really is. Again, it's, it's all black and white there, but your mind kind of, you know, striking scorpions tend to be green, right? And just looking at this black and white picture, it's like, I can visualise the colour all throughout the sky. I can paint the sky with my mind. <laughs> I can paint the sky using mind words. That's right. Which exactly is right. Pr probably what I did at the time. I can't ever remember painting a striking scorpion though. Well, I remember painting a striking scorpion exarch um, in odd tones because you, I don't know if you remember, but in the um, in some of the uh, showcase pages inside White Dwarf or even in the Codex books, you did mm -hmm. tend to find that there'd be a, a single page usually of just variant color schemes, and I did That's like right. yeah. yeah, there was a yellow and a green striking scorpion. Um, uh, and I, I remember doing like a, a split design, you know, how you have those quartered space marines. I did a, oh, something yes. similar to that with the, a bright yellow and a bright green. It looks absolute, absolutely awful thinking back now, but I really enjoyed Did doing you? it. But I drew that inspiration, you know, that try, that idea of painting by numbers, going from the book, um, until then I, I sat down in the Games Workshop and said, can you show me how to do this technique? Because <laughs> I'm really struggling and I, a very a lovely man. I do remember his name as well, Darren Dorado. If you're listening, Darren, it's been a while. <laughs> um, Thumbs up, he, uh, Mr. Dorado. Exactly. He, uh, he was a great guy. He, uh, he showed me lots of um, very interesting techniques and um, speaking to a lot of my, uh, I should call them peers, really, all the other lads and lassies hanging around games workshops and 
being miscreants in the old days saying, how did you do that on your miniature? What did you look at to get that effect? That was it. You know, that was, that was part of the learning process. And that was also an inspiration for how you can learn and develop those skills. I think, um, yeah. I mean, what's your experience with, you know, feeding off of other people in the community? I mean, I've, I've long been a feeder off of other people. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just in my nature. I can't, you know, I really can't help it. You're all so tasty. Um, but from the uh, sort of absorbing um, hobby type stuff, uh, I remember a guy, again, in Games Workshop back in the day, uh, when they were jammed full of staff. And so there'd always be a couple that were not really interested in selling anything to you. They were interested in sitting at their tables and asking you if you'd like a painting lesson. Uh, a lad called Jim. Good old Jim. Jim was the, the fellow who taught me how to dry a brush. I learned a lot from it, and it was just probably sat down for a single hour. You know, a lot of kind of technique and things like this. How to um, hold the brush, the way to apply to the paint. The brush. Something as simple as that. Yeah. 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 All really useful stuff. It strays away a little bit from uh, our topic of uh, using images and stuff for inspiration. I think you can you can gather inspiration from from those hobby gurus words from their advice there when when I was sitting down and Jim was showing me how to paint chainmail by just simply painting it black taking a nice looking metallic color wiping the majority of it off the brush and then gently flicking it across it dry brushing yeah the mind was completely shattered this has changed my world <laughs> It did, it did, because it meant suddenly, like a load of dwarfs who sat there for a long time in unpainted chainmail, were suddenly resplendent in, in a good solid metal armour, which probably took me an afternoon to do. Mithril, <laughs> precisely. So I think that you, you can draw inspiration um, in that way from the support of your hobby gurus and stuff like that. Um, which you certainly have done, and there have been many good painters um, that I've come across. Uh, and I was recently chatting to someone who was able to to fully paint every Warhammer Underworld warband almost within a couple of days of them coming out, which is wonderful because obviously we all like to be playing with fully painted miniatures. And his miniatures are superb. They're really, really nicely done. But what he does is the biggest strength he has is he's able to get them done so quickly and to Speed. a nice standard. Yeah. Speed. Yeah, yeah. Quantity is a form of quality. Um, and, and, and that was something that, that I've tried to take on from him. Um, so I think you're still learning, even, even after many, many years in the hobby. And yeah. I think people's um their kind of their their sort of work ethic around painting their models can be a really strong inspiration it can do yeah absolutely right it can and if you even if you were to look for just a few minutes uh, uh an instagram uh hashtag for miniature painting you'll find hundreds if not thousands of painters out there that are more than happy to offer you pearls of wisdom words of advice just to help help you on your on your journey and that that sort of community spirit still is built into the hobby i think 
um you know you have many very much so yeah yeah you, you have many very accomplished painters out there that have uh, patreon set up some are free some are paid but either way you can access them um and you can you know you can draw on more inspiration you know you can try to emulate those artists that you really feel a kinship with or that you really like their work um and that that all helps helps the uh, the health of the hobby i think the more people doing that the more people getting engaged and involved the better it's you know? more of that hobby salve isn't it it is smear it on good and thick get it on factor 50 cover <laughs> yourself in hobby salve that's right fine. your miniatures will look beautiful and you'll win more games as well. So, and that is a proven fact. Yeah, that's exactly right. I remember actually um, having a, uh, talking of like painting guides and things. I do remember there being an heavy metal painting guide years ago, a book, mm -hmm. how to paint like the heavy metal team do. So, so you're saying that, but you must have a copy of that somewhere. I think I do. I th it's, it's, I'm looking at a bookshelf now. I'm pretty sure it's over is there it somewhere. <laughs> I yeah, think yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll get a picture of it up on the screen, perhaps. Maybe I can find it yeah. between it now and this going out. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and there it is. There it is. Like that, found you it. Know. But they're nice, they're nice things to have, and they're, they're cool things to work from. Um, and it actually leads me into a question I was going to ask. It's something that I've had happen on a couple of occasions, mm. but not really very often. Have you been able to draw a colour scheme for a miniature um squad or army even um from the written word have you ever read a book and thought okay it doesn't necessarily have to be a description of color or anything like that but but a sort of a uh, a theme uh, a kind of feeling a vibe from reading a book and then you think hang on i need to paint those all very very green yeah, I, I've got a very specific example as well that I can use that some of our listeners and viewers may even be able to uh, remember or recognize from what I say. There was a, a series of books by the, 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 the fabulous uh, writer, Dan Abnett. You're familiar with some of his work, I know. Um, he's done some very good pieces. And there's one series of books called The Gaunt's Ghost Novels. I don't know if you've read The Gaunt's Ghost mm -hmm. Novels. Um, they were um, some of the first works of his that I read. And... Um, for the, those those uh, uninitiated, should I say, it's about a, a, a group, a regiment of Imperial Guard. Um, and the books are probably 20 plus years old, so no spoilers here. Um, but the Tanith first and only, they're like a Scottish Celtic kind of kind of style with, you know, bagpipes and, and tartan and all that sort of thing. Anyway, it's not those guys I'm talking about. In one of these books, there was a, a regiment they fought with called the Vitrian Dragoons. Brilliant. And they were described um, as the only thing that they were described as color-wise, if if memory serves, that there was a, an element of burgundy or red to their to their attire. Ah, but lovely. but what they had was this odd mail or scale mail that they were wearing, um, typical guardsman flak armor, no doubt. Um, but they could like adjust it with a button or something, and it would flip, okay. and it would become like mirrored uh, to deflect las weapons or whatever it might be. Um, so this, this, they, they were known, this regiment were known for this particular type of armor they would wear. Um, and not much detail was given about their homeworld, their planet. But here in these few short chapters on the Vitrian Dragoons and how they fought alongside the Tanith first and only the Gaunt's Ghosts, um, really inspired me to paint 
it was just one single squad <laughs> because I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd taken some, some pieces of, um, well, it was basically a kit bash. So I'd taken some other plastic figures, mi- mixed them up with some Imperial Guard bits. And I managed to fashion together this, uh, this, this set of miniatures that looks like they were described in this book and there and i i just i just painted them in this lovingly grim dark and you know <laughs> grim dark color scheme um and it, it in my mind it was it was perfect because there wasn't a huge amount of description as you as you said you know yeah. how about you have you had something similar i was trying to think of a good example um and i have had a few actually the one that springs to mind is I think the only issue with bringing this up is I think I might have brought these books up on every version of this podcast. You know, That's okay. Episode, Continuity is good. <laughs> Continuity. Okay, then. Right. So, um, Ricardo Pinto, the stone dancer, the chameleon. Um, one of the things that is really, really important that runs through the story um, is a connection between three colours. So this is a lot less um, sort of abstract uh, compared to your description. Um, these colours are very, very important to the characters throughout. Um, they, they're used to denote rank, um, uh, your kind of status within society. They are also the colours which kind of construct their religion. Um, and reading the first one many 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 years ago as i did now it actually it made me mildly obsessed maybe a little bit more than mild even with the color green genuinely you know that the books are replete with um references to jade um in all its forms from the very very black almost kind of oily green Mm. smoky jade to that absolutely pure, like a green sea pool type jade. Um, and this man banging on about jade through all of his books um, and really bringing the colour to life, it, it left a lasting impression on me. To this and, day. And I, to this very day, genuinely to this <laughs> very day. Um, and, and, and given a chance, I, I will kind of, I, I will work with, with, blue greens that kind of turquoisey end um any other green and something that is either orange or red really yeah you know if i can if i can get those colors into a color scheme and not just on a small scale like i will look at things i was recently looking at um some new uh necron models and i was thinking i wonder if i could get away with painting them a sort of smoky oily, oily green <laughs> Jade green. I thought to myself, you could definitely get away with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But then I thought maybe with some um, sort of black obsidian sort of accents, and uh, maybe just a splash of red. Yeah, and then, and then I was like, oh, I know where that color scheme from comes from. <laughs> <laughs> it comes from those really impacty books that I read. And then you look back along the shelf at all the armies you painted over the years, and they're all a different shade of jade. <laughs> So you say that, but genuinely, like, so I've got a, I've got a few up on the shelves there, um, uh, a few of the um, Warhammer Underworlds war bands, and it's the case that you know the ghosts I did green. That's kind of 
quite trad at the moment. There's a lot of people painting their their various spirits and spectres and stuff, especially I think the the GW ones, um, the Night Haunt tend to be quite green at the moment. Um, but I also did my sepulchral guards, the skeletons. I thought, how do I, you know, subconsciously it was working away. Mm. I moved towards a blue-green palette. Yeah, and, um, I did mine uh, pink and blue. What's better than pink and blue? <laughs> green and blue. Green That's and blue. <laughs> I do. I, I, I tend to lean towards like black, red and green. Obviously not exclusively, but course, they're the yeah. first colours that... that drop into my mind when when there isn't an image to work from that's informing my color scheme it's when imagination takes over there is no argument with it at all that is that is where that's rooted so that that for me is a good example where words in a book although they are describing a color it, it's not like you're getting a feeling of the color or the more abstract that you've described there but it's the fact that the color is described with such such detail and such kind of wonder such weight as well by the sounds of things if this is such an important Huge. element in this whole arc of story it yeah. obviously has some sort of bearing on on everything around it that's yeah. that can influence the way you read the book as well as how you would then take that idea on to to influence your creative decisions yeah. but talking about panoplies of color we're talking of Talking of other old things, we're going to move on to our, our next segment. This segment, for those of you who are familiar with our, our podcast here on the preamble, know that we like to delve into um, the artwork, the uh, rules and text of a magic card. Isn't that we right, Gronsworth? We love it. We're trying to work through all of them. It's a noble goal. We're on number card number four at this point, aren't we? Card number four. four. We're going strong. Once this one's out, four under our belt. Not a bad start. So, what have we got today then? What 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 have we got? And who has it been picked by? Ah, uh, of course, yes, because we uh, get uh, one of our viewers or listeners to choose the artwork or the card that we're going to be looking at. And uh, this week's was chosen by Elliot at three one one props. Thank you, Elliot. <sighs> Thank you, Elliot. Um, it's called. Horrible Hordes <laughs> by Ian Miller. Horrible Hordes. This, this really is a treat, actually. Yeah, it's really cool. This is, this is quite an incredible piece. Um, it's from the, uh, the, one of the older sets. It's from Mirage. Um, I mean, it, it looks old anyway because it's got that brown border to it. It's got that old style, you know, it looks, I don't even know. Uh, the artwork itself looks really interesting. It's just colour, isn't it? It's just, it's just a, an explosion of colour. Um, it is. It, it, it is a riot of colour. And we'll, we'll get into a bit of a, a, a dig on that as well, because I think there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? Yeah, you start us um, off with this one then, Grumsworth. Go on. Okay, then. Like, I'm very happy to be starting off, especially with this one. The Horrible Hordes here, I really like the way that this often happens to magic cards, but I think... This is a really prime example. The artwork here, it completely informs the entire rest of the card or the other way around might have occurred. So what we've got here is an artifact creature. Uh, so it's a mechanical construct imbued with life in some fashion. Um, so what we've got here are a rampaging array of sentient like bits of furniture 
constructed things. We've got a lamp post in there. Um, yeah. All manner of, of, of strange kind of small metallic looking kind of creatures which look fairly savage at this point, don't they? Mm. You know, there's some big sort of snarling old faces on there. So there's there's so much going on. And the idea that this is obviously a horde, and they're all they all look pretty happy with themselves in their own little way. They look quite gleeful, don't they? They're um, pretty jolly, yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, I'm leaning in close because there's so much going on. I'm trying to look at it all and get it all in. But um, given that they're horrible and they're a horde, the name speaks for itself really with the artwork doesn't it um yeah it's it's doing really well to promote that idea isn't it there's lots yeah. of them this is totally horrible. bizarre though i mean really bizarre it reminds me a little bit of the labyrinth when 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 sarah and her compatriots run into goblin town and okay, yeah, the yeah, goblin yeah. city should i say and all these odd armored and armed goblins come rushing out of their little homes all squat and tiny and really angry um, it reminds me of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's re that's really good though, isn't it? That I completely agree. It is it is a mass of smaller, vicious little savages, isn't it? Hence the name, the horrible hordes. There, that fits really perfectly. Um, it does. I really like the the style here. Is very evocative of those older magic sets where there didn't really seem to be a very cohesive art direction um, or style. They, they almost, um, the pieces of art were one-offs for that specific card, weren't they? Um, yeah. The style itself, I, I really think is really interesting. Um, it has kind of a, a very unrealistic, not really going to say cartoony, because that sounds like it's doing it down, but it, it, it's an unrealistic portrayal isn't it yeah yeah it's almost as if i mean i i can't remember a huge amount about the the, the law of um the mirage block um but it almost looks like it's a dreamscape of a character Very... within the uh, uh so it looks so at odds should i say with um the rest of the set there, there, there are some uh, images as you say a mishmash of art direction that went on for this i yeah. think and there's such a varied uh, amount of styles um, that were thrown into the pot when it came to these older sets of magic cards. It, 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 did, it did stand out from the others. And I think that what Ian Miller's done here, it's like he's portrayed this idea that it's just this onrushing tired of, of whatever, of artifact creatures. And I, I believe it was errata to be a spirit actually as well. So they're artifact creatures and they're also spiritual. So obviously these things might well be possessed or um, you know, taken over somehow by some sort of spirit or demon. Yeah, it's it's absolutely chaos, isn't it? Yeah, I really like it for that. I get the way that that was errata for that as well, mm. because they do the the looks on their faces and the way they're sort of capering forward and rushing forward. It looks like they are like imbued with sentience, doesn't it? Certainly you does. can imagine yeah. that that's a, a swarm of spirits that have been directed into the metal flesh of all these bits and bobs. I like what you say, um, connecting it to the, the set that it's from, Mirage there, it does look kind of like uh, a dreamlike horde, doesn't it? It looks very psychedelic. It's very kind of trippy. It, it has that kind of, the proportions are very, very ill. There's a lot of kind of motion with it. The colors are 
super bright in places um, and all on that sort of pale green kind of ground it's quite a jarring kind of look isn't it yeah there's no there's no one point that you, my eyes are drawn to initially either the face of that big round yellow jug in the middle yeah. or the face of that big square chest behind, chest it, sort of behind it that was sort of where my eyes fell but it wasn't easy yeah. to find that um, which I, I, it may well be have been intentional by That's part of being it. Oh, there. Yeah, uh, I yeah, think it was. I agree. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes for that horde kind of thing, doesn't mm -hmm. it? It, it? Your eyes aren't really drawn to individual pieces. It is the the host as a whole. Yeah, it's only once you take a real closer look and you start to see mm -hmm. all those little individuals that have got little characters of their own. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really interesting piece art wise. Um, it is, when it, it, when it comes uh, mechanically, um, it works quite nicely as well. Yeah. They, they have a, um, an ability here called Rampage, um, and there were varying levels of Rampage. This one is Rampage 1. There was also uh, 2, 3. And the rules are that when this creature attacks, um, it's a 2-2 two, two spirit artifact creature, and whenever it attacks and it has uh, a creature blocking it, it becomes more powerful the more creatures block it. So it says here, as you can see, for each creature assigned to block it beyond the first, this creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So the more individuals you throw at this horrible horde to uh, stop it damaging you, the more powerful this thing gets, which kind of eludes a little bit to this idea that these things are a dream or some sort of illusion that um, the more people that get in front of it or try and get in the way they feed off of their the bigger it their gets. consciousness yeah. and the bigger this thing grows and the, the flavor text with it few are able to underestimate the hordes so it's quite a lot isn't it really it's what i've always thought few are able to underestimate the hordes <laughs> I, I i i really like that that's why i think that the the art works really really well with everything else about this card it kind of comes across as a complete package. Um, the uh, the quote is lovely, and it works really well with what we're seeing. Yeah. You know, it might it might walk in as a humble two two on its way in, but if you start to put some weight in front of it and try and keep it bay, the madness just grows. It just keeps marching. Sadly, we are faced with another problem now, Grumsworth. I've never been faced with a problem more pressing. As the one you're about to mention, what is it? Father Time. Is oh, Father Time. He is. He is knocking on our door right now. Bloody knew it. Sadly, um, we're going to have to get ready to say our goodbyes. That is very sad. That is very sad. But we'll we'll pour Father Time a cup of tea or something. See yeah. if we can see if we can get him to sod off for another week or something. <laughs> Keep it at bay, you know. Oh, well, it'll be about another week until we're ready to do another one of these. That's for sure. Um, yeah, he's going to be knocking again then, isn't he? That's he the will. problem with this guy. Yeah, I can't chase him off for too long. It's been a pleasure, isn't it, Burlock? It is for me, anyway. Yeah. During these, <laughs> during these uncertain times <laughs> where socialising isn't allowed. Uh, it's not allowed in the traditional sense, but we're making it work, aren't we? That's right. As plenty of others are, so, you know, it was of its time. Go on. <laughs> Hit us, hit us with some solid gold book quotery. Book quotery? Yeah. It's from a series of books. Well, it's not from a whole series. It's from the beginning. 
of a long series of books. Is it now? Yeah. I think mm. you may know where now, I'm going to go now, with this already. I mean, there's this one particularly long-running series of books. Um, yeah. And if, it, if, it's the, if it's what I'm thinking about, after those goodbyes have been said, I reckon you roll the quote and we close this out. What do you think? Is it that, is it, is it that worthy a quote? I, I, th I think it probably is. Nice. So, I trust you. From myself... Yeah, and me as well, folks. It's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, either next week or whenever the next time may be. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, please, our details are below and above um, and at the end of this video as well. And until next time, be good to one another. Stay safe. Stay safe. Yeah, yeah. Look after each other. Enjoy your hobby projects and whatnot. And, right. you know, if you, could, if you can pass on a little hobby nugget of goodness, something useful, teach some kid to dry brush or something like that i reckon all be well in the world go on just remember brother i was there the day that horus slew the emperor brilliant and we'll cut it there oh, yeah. and we'll cut it. <laughs> you've been listening to the preamble find us on youtube spotify and many other podcast platforms and if you want to contact us, just send an email to thepreamble at gmail.com or find us at The Preamble on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Your hosts were Brumsworth and Burlock, brought to you by roguesgaming.com. Special thanks to our contributors, our spotlight artist, and of course, to all of you. See you next time.